There is a new Blumhouse movie in cinemas right now. It's called The Black Phone. It stars Ethan Hawke. It's set in the 1970s. And it tells the story of the Grabber, who is this weird, strange individual in a black van and with black balloons who kidnaps children and then kills them. That is essentially the plot to this movie. It is a Scott Derrickson movie. This is the film he decided to make after leaving Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. He's back with writer C. Robert Cargill, who wrote the first Doctor Strange movie, and it is something of a departure from what the MCU film would have been. I mean, this is a small-budget movie, it's a Blumhouse movie, it's kind of intimate, it's very focused, and I don't think I'd describe it as a horror per se, I think it's more of a thriller. I guess it's got some supernatural elements. Yeah. And of course, Ethan Hawke. He's incredible. Like, we haven't seen him play this kind of bad guy. I mean, even the bad guy he played in Moon Knight was a lot less villainous than this guy. Mm, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's particularly fascinating about this is there are, I think, maybe two moments which we see his whole face. And even that's out of focus. Yeah. Yeah. So all we get is Ethan Hawke behind a variety of different masks traumatizing children. And it's fun. I don't know if fun is the way. <laughs> it's not fun. It's a great movie. It's a great day out, but it's not a fun movie. The reason I say fun is because I don't think this movie takes its darkness too seriously. Oh, like, no. Yeah, it is yeah, a yeah, dark yeah. film. It is about children getting kidnapped and being killed. But I think what it does is there is a certain amount, like, and you would have seen this in the trailer, right? The black phone of the title is a black phone in this dungeon. It's disconnected. And that's where the supernatural element comes in because Finney, who is the latest victim of the grabber, can hear the phone ring and he can speak to the children who have died before. The grabber has said that he can hear it too sometimes. And so I think they've approached, or Derrickson has kind of approached this movie in a very strange way because on the one hand, it's a horror thriller and a supernatural show, but it's also got this heroic action element to it. Yes, there are kids getting kidnapped and murdered, but the kid that we follow, Finney, he almost immediately takes charge of the situation. There's no victimizing here. He he takes control, he sets up, and decides to break out in whatever way and he is then helped along by the by the messages from the previous victims right and i like that i like that there's no victimization here there's no he's been kidnapped yes but he's taking the bull by the horns i like how this was marketed as an ethan hawk movie but you get quite little ethan hawk right it's it's mostly a children's film and i love that because as much as he is criminally underrated like as a villain in the film I felt like the kids really took on their roles so well. It was such a empowering story in a strange horror-esque way. And like phenomenal acting. Finney and Finney's younger sister were amazing in this one. Mm-hmm. Mason Thames and Madeline McGraw, who play Finney and Gwen respectively, were both absolutely fantastic. And like you said, Karen, we don't see much of Ethan Hawke, but his presence is felt constantly throughout Mm -hmm. and I think that is a credit to Scott Derrickson and the way he makes these sorts of films there is so much implied horror and implied tension and implied violence that he doesn't have to show it to you to make you feel it there is one scene where Finney and Gwen's dad played by Jeremy Davies 
is spanking her because Gwen has these visions, right? And we get the idea that her mum had these visions too and they kind of drove her insane. And she gets these dreams of the future and these kind of predictive dreams of what's to come. And her father is essentially, mm. I guess, heartbroken over the loss of their mother and doesn't want the same thing to befall Gwen. The thing is, we don't see the spank. We hear it off screen. And when the camera pans, we see Gwen over the kitchen table and her father holding a kind of belt or something to spank her. But we never see him hit her. I was convinced that I saw him hit her. Mm. It was only later when I thought back, I was like, oh, that's a brilliant move on the part of Scott Derrickson because I don't see him hit her. But I get the implied violence. But I think if I saw the father spanking and beating a young girl, it would be a lot yeah. harder for me to forgive him and for him to get redemption at the end of the film. Or any sympathy also, yeah. Or sympathy, right? Because the father's not a bad guy. He's a traumatized guy. And he's taking it out on his kids and he doesn't realize what's going on, right? And I think that was a very clever move on the part of Scott Derrickson. It's a great little character moment. Yeah. And of course, you know, that scene plays out in a fantastic way as well because, you know, Gwen then just takes his bottle of vodka and it's like, if you hit me again, I'm going to break it. And even then has a kind of like this implication that these kids are not just going to take it. They're always going to fight back, which which plays out throughout the entire film in a very, very clever way. Yeah, even the way she cries, it, it goes on a like higher note after a while and you can tell the emotion she's giving out is like sounds so genuine even the way she's like apologizing, sort of apologizing to her dad, it's so passive aggressive. And I love that because that's exactly how children act with their parents. <laughs> she's not really apologizing because she's sorry. She's apologizing so that... He'll stop hitting her. Not only that, but also so that he can get some... In the father's distress, he's he thinks he's beating the... I don't want to say demons, but beating the, the dreams and the, the visions out of her, right? And he's... Also taking out his frustrations on, on the daughter. But at the same time, the daughter knows that this is how you pacify him. And not in a I give up sort of way, but in a this is so that he can... Get some respite, right? Yeah, get some respite. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. So I love that she also has control of the moment, even though she's in a very emotional moment, knows that she's being beaten down on by her own father. We don't learn much about the grabber, but I think what they do show us kind of speaks a lot about who he is. We don't know if he has a kind of multiple personality disorder, but the way the mask is kind of modularized throughout the film, sometimes there's a full mask, sometimes it's covering his mouth, sometimes it's covering his eyes, and the personality of the character of the grabber kind of changes with each mask, and it feels like a different person. And then Ethan Hawke does this really creepy fucking voice, which is really cool. And yeah, all of that characterization works really well because I think it does a lot to build up the tension because I don't know who's coming down the stairs at any point. And I was on the edge of my seat. Like there were a couple of jump scares, but that's not what scared me. What scared me was the fact that every time Ethan Hawke opened that door, whether he had a tray of food or whether he was faking leaving the door ajar, like I didn't know who the character was. And that was truly terrifying. Like he did such a good job in this. But the meanness doesn't come from him flexing muscles. It doesn't come from him being imposing. It comes from, from direction. It comes from writing. It comes from really strong 
internal acting, right? Like you said, half the time his face is covered either top half, bottom half or fully covered, right? And yet you are under no illusion that this guy is fucked up and can fuck you right up. There is that one scene where um, Finney walks up the stairs and you can see Ethan Hawke basically sitting on a chair, shirtless. Like he has a beer belly, he has a, a belt in his hand. But the way he's just breathing and just sitting there, you know, with no movement, no expression. Oh my God, I was terrified. Like that itself is just like, he didn't have to act or say anything. That terrified me straight. Even in that moment, it's controlled aggression, right? Because he knows or he expects or he assumes what's going to happen. And he is getting himself amped or he's ready for that moment to strike. But at the same time, you can understand that there's a frustration in that not being able to strike. Yeah. And that really worked really well. Yeah. That rage is really seen. Even though his face is not even shown with the mask on, you can just feel his rage. I also loved how restrained a lot of it was. Like the way Derrickson chose to show the other kids was very mm. interesting because you kind of see them only when Finney is speaking to them on the phone. Some of them have flashbacks, some of them don't. And even that has a very Stephen King feel to it. Like, yeah, when you see a kid riding on a bicycle with like a raincoat, you immediately think it, right? Yeah. And there is, mm. there are very clear homages to Stephen King. And it's also incredibly restrained. It isn't overindulgent. He doesn't show the grabber killing these other children. Like, he doesn't lean into the gore. He kind of leaves a lot of that up to your imagination, and that makes the movie a lot scarier because, yeah, all of these kids have gone missing. They're dead. You don't know why. You don't know how. And you kind of start imagining in your head the torture and the suffering they may have gone through, and that's incredibly cool. Like, not the torture and the suffering, but the way he plays with your emotions in that way. I'm like, oh, this is very smart. You're not just... You're not just showing me stuff to shock me. I quite like that about this movie. This leans a lot more in the psychological side because when the film starts, maybe several kids had already been taken. We see a kid who's got a knowledge of Finney. One of the kids who gets taken was is in an opposing baseball team that they've played together. So they know of each other. And then it gets to one of Finney's friends. But again, you never see what happens to the kids. And I love that you don't see any overt violence to these kids. You don't see them getting beaten. I think maybe you see one other kid's kidnapping, I think, maybe. Mm. Yeah. So it's very much, in the writing, very much left to your own imaginations and your own messed upness about how badly it could have gotten, right? And I love that. There's only probably one violent scene, and that's not even to the kids. So I'll take that. <laughs> As I was thinking back about it, I realized how much was implied and how much was not shown and how effective that was in kind of transferring the sense of dread onto the audience. It was really, really cool. This is one of those weird, small budget movies that I really enjoyed seeing in cinema. Like I enjoyed seeing it on the big screen. I enjoyed having that surround sound. It kind of added to the whole atmosphere. I enjoyed the lady next to me like jumping at every jump scare. And I was like, oh, this is working. And she's really getting scared. It's great. For me, the black phone is the perfect kind of counter-programming for all of the big budget stuff that's in cinemas at the moment. Whether it's 
Minions or Jurassic Park Dominion or Top Gun or Mat Kilau or whatever you like to watch, the Black Phone is one of these small, mid-budget movies. I wouldn't even call it mid-budget. I call it small-budget movies that is yeah. incredibly impactful. And it also feels very much like a passion project because the reason Scott Derrickson left the MCU was because he couldn't make the movie he wanted to make with Multiverse of Madness. And it feels like with this, he got to make the movie he wanted to make. And this movie was sub 20 million. I'm just looking at the Blumhouse sort of list of films and I've gone on record multiple times saying I don't like horror, but I'm realizing that I really do like the Blumhouse horrors because it's not textbook kind of horror. They don't use the jump scares as a crutch. Mm. Yeah. The the jump scare is not the point of the movie, right? The the point of a Blumhouse horror is that it scares you not by shocking you but by playing with your imagination, by telling you a scary story. I loved Happy Death Day. I love Happy Death Day to you. I really liked Get Out. So there their thing is that the humans are more fucked up and messed up than the monsters under your bed and i really really like that go watch the black phone we don't know how long it's going to be in cinemas this isn't the kind of movie that necessarily makes the big noise it might get drowned out by all of the other big blockbusters that are getting released over the summer season so we highly recommend this i mean if you're a fan of horrors if you're a fan of thrillers this is one to go and watch the black phone it's in cinemas right now let us know if you've already seen it you know how to reach out gogglermy all of our social media feeds you can also email us on podcast@goggler.my or send us a whatsapp on the goggler hotline 0125245208 thank you so much for listening this is the goggler podcast <laughs>